So today is part one of a brand new series that we're calling Your New Default. Have you noticed um, whenever you buy a new device, you ever notice this? You get a brand new phone or a computer uh, or something like that. It's got default settings. And I spend at least the first hour of life with a new device repro reprogramming the default settings uh, so that they're the way I want them because that's kind of what it's all about, right? It's the way we've got everything personalized, right? Don't look at me that way. We all do this. You get a new TV, right? It's got default settings and you change them. You get a computer, of course, has default settings. Any kind of Bluetooth device, even, even coffee makers have default settings. Your, your car has default settings. Like, like did the, did the door, doors lock when you put it in drive and hit five miles an hour when you pull out of your driveway? Did you know you can reprogram that? Because it's annoying. And uh, at the default, see. And you and I are, and don't start Googling default settings because we just, just don't have, I mean, I don't care, do what you want. You and I... <laughs> are the same way, okay, like as people, as humans. You have defaults that lead you in one direction or another. And so I want to start here, like as an example, okay? Have you ever noticed, so last week I did a little experiment, and while we're uh, moving around taking video, we also took some pictures of people in the room. So just be ready. Did you know that you have a default resting face? You ready for this? I wouldn't do that to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Mostly because we can't take pictures in this room. It's so dark. Otherwise, it'd be sweet. But there's a, certain way, there's a certain way that you look when you aren't thinking about how you look, right? Social media has a more descriptive turn for this phenomenon. But for most of us, if someone happens to catch a picture of us when we don't notice uh, and we don't know that they're taking our picture and, and you see it, you, you look at that picture of yourself that someone took unawares and you're, you're, you're like, this guy has friends? This guy found a wife? Somebody fired the, I mean, hired this guy? You know, it's like, ha, for the most part, most part that, well, I'm just... I'll speak for myself. Usually that default resting phase just is, is a combination of boredom and irritation and frustration and probably a little bit of indigestion. So that's, that explains the default resting phase, just so you know. So, uh, so you already knew about that. But you, uh, you have other defaults. Like you have default responses that get triggered every day. So we can spend the morning together here in this setting catching up, having great conversations with people that we love, and, and maybe God speaks to us through the message, and maybe we have an emotional, spiritual connection to God through the music. Uh, we live here in a positive place in our minds with such hope in our spirits, and, and we're talking about our new defaults, and we're like, yes, I'm a new creation. This is good news. Like, this is a new day. I'm a new creation. Then you go home, and your eight-year-old leaves the fridge open, and you have a meltdown, and you're like, I thought I was a Christian. Like, I thought this was supposed to go away. So this is what I'm talking about. You have a default response to the people in your life. And if you're not sure what those default responses are, ask them. Ask your family. Ask the people you work with. Ask them because they are the ones that bear the brunt of your default responses. You should be sitting down when you have that conversation. For the most part, to be honest, our default isn't great. Our default tends to lean towards things like anger. Our default is we get upset. Our default is judgmental. 
Our default is suspicious. Our default is nope. Our defaults aren't great. They don't set us up for healthy relationships. They don't set us up for an optimistic and hopeful view of the world. They don't set us up uh, to be the people that other people want to be around. And they, they don't set us up to grow our influence with other people. And they certainly aren't naturally typical and in, typically in line with the values of the kingdom of God. The kingdom Jesus came to establish and introduce and invite us to be a part of. So the question I want to explore for the next few weeks is this. Can we change our defaults? Like, can you? Like, if you're aware of it and you work on it, can you change your default? Your default responses, your default view of others, your default view of yourself, and your default view of God? The good news for all of us is that the answer is actually yes. The answer is yes. And we could talk about neuroscience, and I intend to because it's a bit of an area of expertise for me, but we're going to look a little bit. We'll look a, a little bit. But you know, some of the stuff that a lot of you have already drilled down on in your life if you've, as you've become, uh, tried to become the best version of yourself, you're already aware of some of this stuff. But I want to take it back a couple thousand years ago, and I want to look at what the Apostle Paul had to say because there are some bold claims in the Christian faith. And Paul probably impacted more people with the gospel in a couple decades after Jesus' death and resurrection than anybody else uh, then or now. He planted churches. He helped newly established churches. One of the things he did is he wrote letters. I kind of like to think of it like as a, as, a, as a really popular blog, because, but this was the medium of the day. Okay, he wrote letters, and this is the way that they shared information and these insights. And fortunately for us, we have some of these letters. And he wrote several letters to the church in Corinth. And this verse is from what we call 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. This is a claim that Paul makes. And he, this, this applies to those of us who've trusted our life to Jesus. And I know some of you maybe are here and you're investigating this. You're not exactly in yet. You're still checking it out. So this topic, I think, could still be helpful, whether you're a Christian or not. But of course, I would hope that you place your faith in Jesus. I'll give you a thousand reasons why, but not right now. But so let's look at this promise here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has come. At the, at the heart of the Christian faith is, is this idea of, of resurrection. And it's not just an idea. We believe it to be a reality, right? It, that Jesus died and he rose again. And when he rose again, he gained victory over death and he ushered in new life, new life for you, both in the eternal sense and in terms of, you know, when you die, you're united with God rather than separated from God, but also new life in the here and now. You are a new creation, a new creation on the inside. From the moment you trusted Christ, His Holy Spirit came in to dwell in you, and you became a new creation, not just an improved, better version of you, a new creation. And then Jesus went around teaching about the kingdom of God, and I know our tendency is to think kingdom of God in terms of something like way down the road, like afterlife, like heaven, eternity or something, and that's part of it, but the kingdom of God has to do with now. Remember, it's here and not yet fully here, and the impact of the kingdom of God is seen in the way that we love the way that we react, the way that we respond. And the frustrating thing for a lot of us, especially for those of us who've been Christians for a while, is we get frustrated when we're not becoming new fast enough. The ancients had a word for this process that we're talking about that we're calling our new, our, our new default, 
they call it sanctification. And sanctification literally comes from the Latin word sanctus, and it means holy. It means the process of being made holy. It's a process of being set apart and being remade in a new image. It's that, it's that longing, to, to make it really kind of simple and accessible. It's that longing that you and I have. It's a longing you have for a new you. It's what you do every January, right? When you're like, okay, this year, cutting back on sugar. This year, I'm going to the gym. This year, we're working on our marriage. This year, we're paying off the credit cards. I mean, you, you have this instinctively as a human being, but at a much deep, deeper level, uh, it, 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 in sanctification, it seeks to regenerate you to make you a new creation exactly like what Paul wrote about. And it is partially, listen, the work of you and partially a work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, because God is God, maybe God could do it all himself. But he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use you. You've you got to do some of it yourself, but there's part of it, honestly, that requires some huge, superhuman ability here. So God has a vested interest in making you a new creation. And, and where this shows up, and there's a lot of uh, conversation around this, and it's not so much in the church, it hasn't found its way into the church, and I'm not sure why. You hear about it, though, outside the church. If you listen to uh, certain types of podcasts, they talk, I, I, this is what I do, which I find, I find this stuff really interesting. And so I'm going to bring it into the church today, into our conversation. There's a conversation that happens in your brain. And you're like, no, duh. <laughs> and, and you think about your life. You think about the way it works for you. You're always kind of talking to yourself, right? And, and I, don't, like, I don't mean out loud. That's a different thing altogether. I'm not equipped to handle that today. But you have this voice in your head. And this voice in your head is sort of a battle between two things. Number one, your basic instinct, and secondly, your more mature response. And your basic instinct is like, oh man, I am so mad. And your more mature response, your brain kind of kicks in over your emotions, and is like, I probably shouldn't respond to that in that way. But you're you get triggered, right? And you get triggered, and off we go. So if there's something, that, there's, there, there's something that's uh, really developing like in our lifetime, and it's brain research, like, we know more about the brain than we ever have in human history. Like, we know way more today than when, like, I was a kid, you know? And uh, that's why I didn't wear a helmet until I was, like, 20. Uh, so we know, we know, don't, I know, it explains a lot. We know more about the brain than we ever have in human history. And one of the things that researchers, scientists, and psychologists are, are looking at is what seems like a, a battle between these two regions of your brain. So if I, wanna, I want uh, to look at it in a simple, simple way. So since I'm an expert in this, I want to dumb this down for the rest of you, okay? So, no. So I, I found all kinds of pictures of the brain, but I needed to find one that looked like a cartoon for me to understand it. So, so, so there's, there's the amygdala, and the hippocampus. How many have heard of those two parts of your brain? The amygdala is actually your very like primitive uh, fight or flight response. Okay, you know when when you see you're out for a walk and you see what you think is a bear, and you're like, I got to get out of here, or you get cut off in traffic at 27 miles an hour and you think you're going to die. <laughs> That's your amygdala. This is your primitive response. And thousands of years ago, it was there for our survival, right? You're, like, you're in the wilderness, and you see a shadowy figure, and you're like, friend or foe, am I going to eat or be eaten? You know, and we're probably, you know, probably going to die. Let's get out of here. That's your amygdala, and that probably is what triggers the majority of our default responses. Like when you're at home, and your spouse is mad at you, and you look at your bank account, and it's red, not black, and you're like, ah, it, that's your amygdala. 
Then there's this other region, the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is your rational self. And your rational self says, oh, that's not a bear, that's a shrub. I'm okay. Your rational self says, oh, he didn't come over into our lane. Besides, we're going 27. We're not going to die. We're okay. And there's sort of this battle that we've got going on between the two, right? And what neuroscience is showing is that with the right training in that environment, your hippocampus can override your amygdala, that you can actually stop reacting and start responding, that we get better at this with practice over time. So like, I know for myself, I've been a Christian for a long time since I was a child. And since my, I would say my late teen years, I I started to become a little more self-aware and I've gotten better at reprogramming some of my default responses. But I'm certainly not talking about this from a place of like, I've arrived, okay? I'm very much in process. But I mean, we can actually grow in this area. And for most of us, there's plenty of room for growth. Sometimes when they talk about this process outside the church, they talk about it in terms of emotional intelligence. And I love that study. I find it really fascinating. But this isn't really discovering um, anything entirely new. It goes back to the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and what he can do in you and what Christians are learning about how to live in a very different way. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about this idea of resetting our defaults. And we're going to talk about different subjects, and we're going to break them down, and I'm open to your suggestions on that as to some, maybe some possible topics. And the way it would, the suggestion would be like, I'd talk about how we shift from this to this. And so I'm open to your input on that. Because I've chosen some topics to get us started that I think are kind of the big ones. Maybe they're the big ones for me. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's not a thing for you. And I think, but I do think most of us struggle with, with these things, whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not. And, and of course, the process of renewal the process of resetting our defaults that I'm going to be talking about is very much for Christians, for followers of Jesus. So you can do all the self-improvement, all the self-help work you can. I encourage you to do that. But what I'm talking about is a step beyond that because it's so dependent on the cooperation with, with the Holy Spirit in accomplishing the work of God in our lives. So that was all introduction. Today, we're going to kick this off with this one. It's pretty, I don't know, let's just see if you can identify. I'm just, it's judgment. We're going to talk about judgment. I think if we did a quick poll, we'd discover that nobody likes judgmental people. We don't like to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. Yet most of us tend to be judgers. Church people are really good at this. So I want to get into this because I, I, I know this will come up and this might be a question afterwards. I want to talk about the very fine distinction between two terms, and they are discernment and judgment. Discernment is actually really important, right? It's a gift and it's a skill that can be learned. Discernment would say, ah, that's not such a great idea. Discernment might say, you know what? We probably shouldn't get married. The timing is not right, or maybe we're not right. Discernment says, I think that's a great business opportunity. We should do it. Discernment says, I think my kids need a tutor. Like, like, here's the thing. Discernment seeks to help. Discernment seeks to make wise decisions. It's, and, and it's not like we never have an option, right? It's not like or that we never have an opinion. Uh, it's not like we just throw our hands up and we're like, well, I'm not even going to talk about it. No, discernment is actually a gift and it's a learned skill. Discernment is actually the key to wisdom where you say things like, you know what, I'd like, I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I think this is a toxic relationship. 
That's discernment. Judgment is different. Judgment doesn't want to help. Judgment is just like, nope. Judgment sounds like, well, you always and you never. See, judgment is more emotional. Judgment is more final. Judgment is often irrational. And judgment is often irresponsible. Oh, listen, and often it's wrong. I've really worked at navigating this the last few years of my life, and I've found that judgment creates distance. But discernment is helpful. And I know I'm being discerning when my instinct is to help, when my motive is to help. When someone in my life is struggling with something, and I'm like, you know what, I'd love to see a better day for that person. Maybe I can play a role in that. That's probably discernment. But judgment is kind of like, you know, loser. Judgment is like, I hate you, and I want to destroy you, and I want people to know how much better I am than you. Nope, not going there, not helping with that. They need to help themselves. The Bible has some things to say about judgment. So if you even dip into the Bible a little bit, you'll begin to realize that of all people, Jesus was very, very emphatic about the role that judgment plays. So, and he's talking about for those of us who are followers of him. So we're going to look at our main text today is Matthew chapter 7. We were in this passage not that long ago, well, about 15 months ago in a series that we called The Kingdom of God, where it took us about 10 months as we crawled through what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus didn't call it that, but we know it as Jesus' uh, manifesto for a whole new way to be human in the broken reality of the kingdom of God. So this is completely kind of new ground, right? And we're coming at, at we're going we're to come at this a little bit different angle. So I'm not repeating a sermon from 15 months ago. And so if you're interested, though, in going back to that series and uh, and get a different perspective on these same verses, you can find that in our podcast feed or on our media player on our website. Get it on demand. And that was on July 12th, 2020. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So by the time that we get to the beginning of chapter 7, he's kind of rounding the corner and coming into the home stretch. And he's like, now I've talked to you about the kingdom of God. I've talked to you about what blessing is. I've talked to you about how you love your enemies. Now I want to talk to you about your tendency to judge other people. And Jesus is like, why'd you have to go there, Jesus? I was with you all along. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in here, and it's very counterintuitive and countercultural, but I'm with you. Now we're going to go here. This is feeling a little bit personal, Jesus. Here's the thing. He was crystal clear on judgment. If, if you can understand what he means, okay, I, I, I think you can. Like, even if you've never read the Bible before, even if you don't know Greek or Aramaic or Latin or anything like that, I think you can discern the meaning of this text. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to put the first part of this up here. It says, words of Jesus, do not judge others. We're like, I don't know, it's so confusing. (laughs) I don't know what he means by that. (laughs) We've we've tried to rationalize, like, is, is anyone unclear on what this means? Oh, I think we should go back to the original language, because I think it means something different. Like, why would God give me the spiritual gift of judging if I'm not supposed to judge? <laughs> we need to talk. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to dig into this so we can really understand what Jesus is really trying to say here. It's, it, what do you really mean, Jesus? Like, what are you trying to say, Jesus? I think he's pretty clear. I don't know how we miss this. Do not judge others. And you're like, well, that's, that's good for some people to know this, but I'm not a judgmental person. I mean, I'm certainly not. I'm speaking for myself. I'm certainly not because I'm Canadian by birth. 
Canadians, no, no, if you know anything about Canadians, you know Canadians don't judge anybody. We accept everybody. We apologize over and over and over. We're so sorry for everything that we have. You know, if we gave you the impression that we were judging you, we're sorry about that. I lost my Canadian accent 30 years ago. This is a nice sentiment, this idea that I'm not a judgmental person, but it doesn't really hold up because maybe I am a little judgmental. Like maybe I am. Maybe you are too. I'm going to guess you've been judging me for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Something I said, probably. Uh, think, think about this. Have you ever thought about how much of the content we consume, if you're a TV watcher, how much of the content we consume on, on that medium is judgment-based? I mean, like, there are shows about fashion and design and, like, cooking and music and all kinds of things like that. There are shows that, like, their entire channels set up basically to get you to judge people. You know, it's like before and after, bad design, good design, or like that countertop is so 2013, you know, I wouldn't. And those jeans, really, you know, or how about politics? Let's talk about politics. Oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, you're like, <laughs> stick to my notes. You're like, I can't vote for anybody. I mean, I, there's nobody out there. I can't vote for any of these losers. I, all, this is all I get to choose from. I can do better than any of them. Here's an idea. Go do it. And I'm not even joking. Dude, I sat here with my dad a couple weeks ago, and we did an interview, and we talked about some of his frustration with the political process. So what did he do? He got himself elected eight times. Do it. You can do it. You're like, there's no normal or everyday people in there. It's because we've let that happen. That wasn't in my notes. Sorry. Just go do it. Maybe, maybe, like, so you, you love, you love the, the tension of the, of the cable news uh, format where it's, like, people shouting over each other, and you love that because you get to, like, judge the other side with that, and then you're like, yeah, I'm all in there. Maybe, maybe you get drawn to the real-life news stories, like even local news. Let's talk about local news, okay? And, like, crime and, crime and law and order and that kind of stuff. So, like, you've got to see the, the news tonight to see which car accident they're talking about, which barn fire they're talking about, and whatever on COVID counts. So whatever, that's pretty much the news. And, but here's the thing. Um, inevitably, in the local news, they're going to show you a mugshot of somebody. And it's going to make you go, oh, he's guilty. <laughs> no, have you ever seen a mugshot and confused it for someone's engagement photo? <laughs> right? Like every mugshot looks like the person's guilty. I don't know how they manipulate that. It's a special Instagram filter or something. I don't know. You're like, I know he's guilty. Look at him. I don't know any of the facts. Don't really need to. I'd love to sit on that jury. Guilty. We play this game every single day. How about neighbors and friends and coworkers? Good neighbors, bad neighbors, friend, used to be a friend, no longer my friend. Don't even get me started on the people I have to work with. We lean into judging people all the time, and it's not, it's not always helpful discernment. It, we cross a line there somewhere. It's just judgment. Finds its way into our social settings, too. We don't want to hang out with those people anymore. We don't like those kinds of people. Those are not the kinds of people that we ha- want to go out to dinner with. And at work, like you're judging the person who got the promotion and didn't deserve it, the person who's always late, the person who's always irresponsible, the person that creates all the drama the people you want to have lunch with, the people you don't want to have lunch with, the people you want to travel with, the people you would never want to travel with. We are like judgment factories. I'm a judgment factory. 
And what did Jesus say about that? Don't, period. Don't, just don't. There's no ambiguity. Here's the thing. Underlying our judgment are at least three things, at least three things. And this is not exhaustive, but I'm just going to go with these three. Number one, the idea that I know. Like, I know. Like, the politicians don't know. My friends don't know. My neighbor doesn't know. My boss certainly doesn't know. My coworkers aren't even aware. They don't know. My spouse doesn't know. My kids don't. But I know. I know. I know what's right. I know what's best. I know. Second thing is that I know I'm right. That's what's underneath judgment. I know and I'm right. You want to know what's really negative, what's really dark? You want to see the dark underbelly of our judgment? It's this one. And I'm better. That's what's underneath our judgment. And you're like, well, not mine. Yes. I know I'm right and I'm better. Because when we judge, that's what's driving it. I know I'm right, I'm better. See why we hate being judged? Because that's what's underneath it. And honestly, some of us spend our entire lives judging. Like, talk to people who don't go to church. Like, talk to spiritual people who are not Christians. Talk to Christians who don't go to church, and they'll tell you, you know, I can't stand Christians, and here's why. I can't stand them because they're so judgmental, because they think they know, and they think they're right, and they think they're better. And I, I would say they're not completely wrong on that assessment. See, judgment assumes that you know best. Judgment assumes you know best. And here's my key takeaway for today. You don't. Judgment assumes you know better, and you, and you don't. I don't. We don't. I don't know what's best in every situation. You don't always know what's best. You don't always know what's best in your life, let alone in someone else's life, Right? It's one of the reasons why Jesus, when he's wrapping up his most famous teaching that he ever gave, says, oh, a couple more things here. Don't judge others. So then he goes into this fascinating place that very few people include when they talk about judging. But we're going to go there today. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Um, again, we're like, what's he, what's he mean by that? So a little uh, biblical scholarship for you. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. The verb in that sentence structure is in the passive. So when we see this in Scripture, theolog theologians actually give this a name. They call it the divine passive. It's passive. It's a passive voice, and it, which, which is when the subject is actually uh, you know, receiving the action of the verb. So passive verb tense in the Bible, not always, but most of the time, there's a silent actor involved. Like the doer of the action isn't named, but the subject is silent. But theologians and linguistic scholars say, you know who the actor is here? It's God. In other words, if you're going to read this accurately, this is what it says. Do not judge others and you will not be judged by God. God's the judge here. Verse 2. You'll be treated as you treat others. Well, what's that mean? Because wait, isn't God the judge? What's that mean? You'll be treated as you treat others. Here's a question. What if God treats me as harshly as I treat others. Like, like, what if I were to take that same standard that I apply to all the people that I don't like, all the people whose whatever behavior I don't approve of, 
or their whatever the thing is that I choose to judge them for. And what if God says, okay, Todd, judgment day, whatever you understand that to look like, guess what standard we're using? That's right, the standard you used. Who's dead in the water now? I am. Are you? I mean, if all of a sudden the situation is kind of reversed and that same judgmental, critical, harsh, uncharitable, unjust attitude that you have for your spouse, for your kids, for your ex, that you have for the people who aren't as smart as you, as rich as you, as attractive as you, the person who doesn't try as hard as you and as hard as you think they should, they're lazy, they don't even try. Okay, what if God starts treating you the same way you treat other people? How would that work for you? All right, back to Jesus, verse 2. For you'll be treated as you treat others. We probably need to give that some serious thought. And the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We're like, oh my goodness, what does that mean? (laughs) It means what it says. The standard that seems to be applied in context of everything Jesus taught, when it's all been said and done, the standard seems to be, in the kingdom of God, how well have I loved those around me? That seems to be the thing that it boils down to uh, in all of Jesus' teaching. How, have, how well have I loved those around me? And here he's saying, how harshly did I judge them? How did I treat them? See, this actually seems to matter to God. It actually seems to matter to Jesus. It's one of the central tenets of, of his teaching, love and judgment and how we treat other people. And you'll be like, well, Todd, I have an objection to that. I have an objection, okay? Like, I'm just trying to help people. I'm just, I'm just trying to help. It's just out of love. I'm just trying to help. Sometimes I'm sure that's true. So let's be honest. Maybe once in a while you are just trying to be helpful. Maybe even most of the time you're trying to be helpful. I mean, even if that's true, there's a lot of judgment that happens, still happens in my brain. Probably some judgment that happens in your brain too. So so here's what's missing, though. See, when you're trying to help people in this way, what's missing is God. Here, here's the thing, because God, because you are not all powerful. I, I know. You are not all knowing. You are not God. You don't see things accurately all the time. You don't always know all the facts. You don't always know all the details. And so we lean into judging. You are not God. I am not God. And Jesus is trying to make the point that because you and I are not God, we should not be the judge. It's like Jesus knows why we're so bad at judging, why we make such terrible judges. Here's what he says, verse 3. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I mean, like, you got to get the log. Uh, you got a log in your eye there. You got to do something about that, dude. You're like, uh, can I help you with that little thing over there? And you're stumbling all along, all around. You got this, like, 12-foot beam sticking out of your face. In other words, like, ha, like, like Jesus is saying, do you realize how much of a sinner you are? Like, do you know how much the cross had to happen just for you? And you're all upset, right? You're all upset at your spouse, and you're all upset at your kids, and you're mad at the guy at work, and you're so frustrated with your neighbor, and you're so angry at your ex, and your sister-in-law, and your brother-in-law, and your mother-in-law, and your ex-mother-in-law, and, and the other ex-mother-in-law, and you think, you're the, you're the bomb, though, because you know, and you're right, and you're better. Listen, you're not. We're sinners. And yet we fool ourselves into believing that we stand in a morally superior position. 
Jesus says, verse 4, how can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that little tiny speck in your eye when you can't see past the giant, massive beam in your own eye? Then he says something that every one of us would like to say. We love to use this one, but really he's the only one that's ever in a position to say this. He says this, verse 5, hypocrite. We like to throw that word around, but we don't get to. Hypocrite, play actor, pretender. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Work on yourself. Get on your knees. Humble yourself. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, should you, in a discerning way, should you try to help a friend? Yeah, but first realize you're a wreck yourself. First realize you're no better. You don't know. Here's something, you may not be right. Like maybe you're just a sinner in need of grace like the rest of us. So that's acknowledge, first of all, we haven't nailed this either. So how do we do this? How do we do this? There are two things that you and I are always processing as human beings. And they are intentions and actions. Intentions and actions. I mean, think about how much of your uh, life at home or with the people closest to you is like, you're like I, didn't, I didn't mean to. That, that's not what I meant. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I, didn't, I never intended to. Those are intentions. And then there are your actions. Yeah, but you did. Yeah, but you got mad. Yeah, but you lost your temper. Yeah, but you made a mess of things. But you screwed up. But, but you... So there are intentions and there are actions. And here's what happens. And this is just natural for us. This is our sinful condition. Uh, and sin isn't so much an act as it is a condition. And usually we, we judge ourselves, right, by our intentions. And we judge other people by their actions. We let ourselves off the hook. Well, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it. Like, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to hurt you. But oh my goodness, the way you spoke to me today, the way you behave. Oh, you... What if we flipped it? What if we started valuing other people by their intentions, evaluated ourselves by our actions? What if we stopped letting ourselves off the hook? Like, I wonder how often we pray prayers of confession. Maybe you don't because you don't think you have anything to confess. Well, if that's the case, you certainly do. And I would say, if you're not sure what to confess, ask someone who knows you. They'll tell you. What if we started evaluating other people by their intentions? So here's what that sounds like. Well, I don't think they meant for that to happen. Maybe they meant for something else. Maybe they didn't mean for it to come out like that. Maybe they didn't realize how disrespectful they were being. Maybe they didn't disrespect me on purpose, right? Maybe they just don't know how that sounded. You're like, I'm letting them off the hook. Yep. What if we started being charitable with other people and strict with ourselves? What if we started acknowledging, you know what? I, I didn't mean to, but I did. I didn't mean it that way, but, but it, it, it came out that way. My bad. Like, I, I'm sorry, I own that. Can you imagine... What would happen if we started to move from judgment to grace? Grace says, oh, I'm a sinner. Grace says, you should see how dark it gets in here. You should see the light, though, that Jesus had poured into me. You should see where my default goes, and you should see where the new defaults that the Holy Spirit is working on to set in my life. You see what that looks like. 
Grace is, I'm a sinner. God forgave me. And so, oh my goodness, who am I to judge you? Like, who am I to be the person who says you're not enough? Because I'm not enough. I mean, if we really get serious, followers of Jesus, can you imagine if we get serious about this? Can you imagine what happened in our homes? If we started to move from judgment to grace, if you started judging yourself by your actions and other people by their intentions, like what if you started holding yourself to a far stricter standard than you ever hold other people to? Can you imagine that? Like in your marriage, in your parenting, in your key relationships, can you imagine what it would be like at work? Can you imagine if you started holding yourself to a higher standard than you hold the people around you in your workplace? probably sit in there for a bit because that's where a lot of us spend most of our time right is in the workplace and with people we co-workers and like can you imagine what would happen if you started to just exude grace if your defining characteristic was grace if it really was discernment because your motive is not to judge your motive is to help oh here's something what if we just decided we aren't going to express all of our opinions anymore? What if we just decided that we're going to establish at least one significant relationship where we can confess our sin? Because judgment assumes that you know you're right, you're better. And it's like Jesus is saying to me, Todd, you don't know. You're not always right, and you're certainly not any better. Bottom line, you're not God. So, nice little bit of theory today. Thank you very much. What do we do with this? How do we take this home? I want to give you a little bit of homework. But it's only for the brave. So if you're up for it, if you're brave enough to face what you might discover, I think what we need to do is audit this thing. So again, this morning, I've put a simple three by five card on every seat. We didn't bother to print these up because I know not everyone's going to do this. Because like I said, it's only for the brave. It's only for those who really want to discover the truth about themselves, and some musicians and singers are coming, but we're going to focus because we know how that all works. Magically, they're there. See? There. This, this exercise, here's what I want to challenge you to do. This week, just let's do it for a week. Let's keep a judgment log, okay? So, if you're watching at church online or you're watching on demand, uh, you can do this. It's just a simple piece of paper. All I'm asking you to do is write at the top, today I found myself judging. Just write at the top of the card, today I found myself judging. And then, listen, don't write anything else. Leave lots of space on the card. Let's do this for a week. At the end of every day, take some time to review your day and ask God to reveal to you those times throughout the day when you judge someone. And write it down. Here's why I say write it down, because you probably need to see what a big deal this is, because we all tend to think we aren't really that judgmental. 
when we see it written down, we start to get real honest because we can see it in front of our own eyes and we'll discover maybe there's something there that we really need to address. Remember, judging says, I know, I'm right, and I'm better. Judging assumes I know, but I don't. So you might be shocked at how often this comes up in the course of your day. And then listen, listen, because this isn't meant to be defeating, okay? This isn't, made, this isn't intended to make you feel terrible about yourself. Take the results of your look at your day and bring it to God. Like confess, confess your sin of judging. God, forgive me for judging. Then name each instance. I don't think we should just make a blanket statement. I think we name each instance where you've judged someone. And then thank God for his grace in your life that he approaches you with grace, so much grace, not judgment. And let's pray that grace would become our defining characteristic, that grace would become the dominant flavor in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, in all of our relationships. Can you imagine if the default got reset? Can you imagine the difference that would make? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is convicting. It's convicting for me. I'm a very skillful judger. Forgive me for that. Forgive us. The church collective, it's been a trait of ours. We need your mercy. We acknowledge our need for your grace. We're so grateful that grace is the defining characteristic of your relationship with us. May it be the defining characteristic of our relationship with everyone else. So we're inviting you to lead us through this process of resetting some defaults in us. We don't want to respond with judgment. We want to respond to every person in every situation with love and acceptance and grace. May that be true of us in Jesus' name.